Well, once again, happy Father's Day. Um, I, I was thinking as I was um, preparing to come up here, this is the first Father's Day that I will have spent without my children in 16 years. Um, oh, oh, that's right. That's right. As you know, as I shared earlier, they're on mission this morning, and I could not be more blessed to know that, that Danny and Caitlin right now are in Virginia Beach, and Connor is in Florida for a couple of weeks at boot camp before they leave for a month to serve down in Mexico, his team of about 15 young people. And so I'm blessed, even though um, they're not here today with me. I, I can't imagine... Um, you know, not experiencing this morning the way I am, um, because it is an, an honor to know that they're out and about. You know, um, if you have a daughter, then you know how hard it is when they begin talking to boys. Caitlin is 13 years of age, and every once in a while, I will overhear her mention a boy's name. And immediately, she gets the evil eye from me, and then she also gets a tongue lashing from me. Because she has been told for probably 13 years that she is not allowed to date until she is about 45 years of age. And so I I got Jeremy's over here, yep, that's my daughter's as well. You know, as I was preparing for this message, I, I, you know, I've always kind of thought, what am I going to do whenever that boy knocks on the door for the first time to take my daughter out on a date? Um, I've, I've always kind of um, read different things and funny stories of what other fathers have done. And so the internet is great whenever you can pull things together like that. And so I pulled together a few recommendations, what you should do if you're a father whenever that first boy knocks on the door. Um, the first thing, that, that it recommends is sprinkle some dust on your daughter before she leaves and then tell the boy that it makes fingerprinting a lot easier. <laughs> Show him your gun and knife collection. Um, and I'm struggling here because I have no gun and I really don't have any knives and so I'm going to have to get busy. But I have until she's 45 so I have plenty of time. Um, introduce him to your good friend Chuck Norris. Answer the, the door wearing a police SWAT team uniform. Casually show him your collection of five shrunken heads. And then yell up to her and say, honey, number six is here. <laughs> Have the funeral home director over to measure the young man. Answer the door in a straight jacket. And then, um, this one is probably my favorite, as they leave, speak into a walkie-talkie and say, subject is wearing whatever clothes he's wearing, driving whatever car he's wearing, just to kind of scare um, the fear of God into him is kind of what you're doing that for. You know, this morning, I I want us to see that our message point is this, there is a real shortage of godly men. There is a shortage in the home, there is a shortage in the church, there is a shortage within our schools, and there is a shortage within corporate America. There's a shortage because men have abdicated their roles as father. Now, I'm not saying that about the men in this room. I know the men in this room, and I know that you love your families well. You love the Lord well. You love your children well. You love your wives well. You work hard. You serve hard. You come home, and you love on your family well. 
I'm not saying that about the men that are in this room, but I am saying that about many of the men that are outside of the doors of this church today. They have truly abdicated their role of raising their children to follow after the heart of God. I was, I was reading and I saw that the average man spends about seven minutes a week investing in their teenage children. Seven minutes a week. Is that not just shocking? I was kind of surprised by that, that men do not spend more time than that. You know, as men, every single one of us in this room, women too, we are disciple makers. Our goal is to make disciples out of our children to invest in them, to breathe life into them, to share God's word with them so that they can be equipped and prepared the day that they leave our homes to become world changers. Notice in our passage of scripture this morning, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 128. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. That's the entire chapter. We read Psalm 127 earlier during our welcome time, and that was kind of a setup um, chapter um, for our chapter this morning. But Psalm 128, these are the words that we read. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. As we walk through our passage this morning, I want you to see that this message is not just a message for the men that are in this room. This is a message for the men, the women, for single people, everybody that's in this room this morning. And we see that when we, when we just look at our first point together. Our first point is this. Godly men lead their families to fear the Lord. Godly men lead their families to fear the Lord. We read right here in verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. It doesn't say just blessed are the men when they fear the Lord or blessed are the women when they fear the Lord. It says blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Blessed are you men when you fear the Lord. Blessed are you women when you fear the Lord. Blessed are you students when you fear the Lord. Blessed are you children when you fear the Lord. Every single one of us in this room, when we fear the Lord, we are indeed blessed. Now, this past Sunday, as you know, we were on vacation. And so we had gone up to Durango, um, and our intention was to spend about six nights in Durango. And on Sunday morning, we were going to get up early, and we were going to head up to Silverton, which is just a, about an hour's drive from where we were staying. And that is where Chief and son, um, Sue's son serves at a church there in Silverton. And so we were going to go up there and worship with him that morning. But some of you may not be aware of this, but there was raging fire around Durango. 
And where we were staying, we were just a couple of miles from, from those fires. And so right there, this picture was taken at the end of the street that we were staying in. And, and this fire looks worse than it is. All of that smoke that you're seeing there was actually, um, a backfire that the, that the, um, the firemen had set to prevent it from, um, burning down about a half a dozen homes that were just right up the road from where we were staying. And, and, um, Durango is kind of a weird place, okay? The people are a little weird. Um, Colorado in general is a little weird. There's a pot shop pretty much on every corner now there. But there's another thing that really makes um, Colorado not a very fun place to be in the summer. And I found that out this, um, this past, past week. Um, most of the people there, they do not have air conditioning. Okay, that is messed up in my opinion. Um, it, it it got up to about eighty eight to ninety every day, and and one of the particular mornings, I was out talking to the neighbor. Um, we were staying in a little community, and I was talking to the neighbor who was a permanent resident there, and I said, "Do y'all have AC?" And she goes, "No, we don't have AC because what we do is we open our windows up at night, and all the cool air comes in." Well, let me tell you a bad combination. A raging fire and an open window. So after three days in Durango, waking up to a home filled with smoke, we moved over to Pagosa Springs, which was just a little ways up the road. And, um, but on Sunday, we went to um, Centerpoint Church in Pagosa Springs, and, and the pastor wasn't there. Their worship pastor was leading, and he had been leading the men of his church through a courageous men's Bible study. And he had taken seven men within that church through this study. And, and the, the, the purpose of this study was to invest in the men of the church so that they in turn could invest in their families. And what they did is they looked at what it means to be a godly man, how to love on your, your family well, how to serve well, how to, how to worship well. And it was just an encouraging service. But, but what the gentleman had talked about was the need to fear the Lord. Godly men fear the Lord. Now, some people, when they hear the word fear, immediately think of the word terror. But that is not the kind of fear that, that the, the, the Lord is talking about in his word when we are instructed to fear the Lord. Terror is something totally different. Terror is what happens when I see a snake. Okay, if you want to see me run or scream like a little girl, throw a snake in front of me, especially if it's a big one or a poisonous one. I do not like snakes very well. That is terror. Terror is what happens when your knees buckle. Okay, but when it comes to fearing the Lord, to fear the Lord means that you and I recognize our position before the Lord. He is the creator. We are the created. He is our master. We are his servants. He is our father. We are his children. He is the king. And we are the men and women that live within his court that have been set apart to bring honor and glory to his name. God loves us. So we are not to fear him as in to be afraid of him. To have the right kind of fear before the Lord means that we live in awe of him, that we obey his commands, that we submit to his lordship and discipline, and that we desire to please him. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, we read these words, the end of the matter. 
All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In Job 28, 28, we also read, And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Do you fear the Lord this morning? Do you fear the Lord, not in a terror way, but in a way that drives you to want to please him, in a way that drives you toward holy living, in a way that drives you to want to serve the Lord, in a way that drives you to want to make his name famous, like our team in Virginia Beach is doing, and like our other teams that will be going out this summer as well. We have been set apart by God the Father so that we can bring honor and glory to his name. And when we understand and recognize our position before the Lord, then we are going to be driven out to bring honor and glory to him. Pastor Ed Welch wrote these words. He said, a mature fear of the Lord is more akin to awe, to devotion and worship. It is a response that says your glory is irresistible. In your presence, nothing else matters. You are all that I desire. Furthermore, it is a response that is active. It does something. It is not simply a passive devotion. It follows Christ in obedience. It searches out his will and can't wait to do it. Oswald Chambers wrote, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. We have been set apart by God the Father to bring honor and glory to his name. We must fear the Lord, not in a terror way, but in a way that drives us to want to bring his name, bring honor him through our holy living. One writer shared, shared when we fear the Lord, it, it is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despised wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, it motivates us toward holiness. It prolongs our lives. In Proverbs 10, 27, we read, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. It produces security. It brings about great blessings. Let us be the men that God set us apart to be, and let us fear the Lord in all that we do. Our next point is this. Godly women will be fruitful in the home. Verse 3, once again, we read this. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. I love what this passage says about our mothers, about the women that are in this room. It says a faithful wife is like a fruitful vine. Now, I know that not every woman in this room has children. Some of you have chosen singleness. Some of you um, have, have chosen not to have children. 
possibly. Others may like to have had children but were unable to because of barrenness. I know that and recognize that. However, a woman can still be fruitful even if she does not have children. She can be fruitful within the home. She can be fruitful outside the home. She can be fruitful within corporate America. She can make an impact within the lives that she has influence over. She can still be a blessing and impact the lives of others within her home or outside her home. Within our passage this morning, we see that a woman's fruitfulness is directly linked to God's blessing. So that's what we read in our passage of Scripture. The Hebrews saw children as a blessing from God. To not have children was seen to be a curse. Isn't it amazing how things have changed? If you have more than one or two children today, other people will say, oh, God bless you. If you have more than a couple of children, it's seen more today as being a curse. But that is so far from the truth. God's word makes it abundantly clear that it is a blessing to have children. But with that blessing comes great responsibility. Men and women with children, grandchildren, or influence over children. As children of God, we have a responsibility to train up those children and to equip those children to follow after the heart of God, to pursue after God, to become men and women that love the Lord and want to serve the Lord in all that they do. Once again, we are disciple makers commissioned by God the Father to invest in the lives of those that he has given us influence over. Now, now raising children takes time. Okay, we don't just immediately after a child is born, we don't immediately just send them out into the real world. They're not born eating meat, are they? They're born being dependent upon their mother's milk. We are entrusted with our children for a limited period of time. For some, that that is to their 18. And once again, we live in a, a, a little bit twisted society today. Sometimes we're entrusted with our children from the moment they're born until they're 35 because people are leaving the house later in life today, aren't they? Um, but we have a limited window of time that we have influence over our children. And so we must make sure we steward that time well and invest in our children well. Within our passage this morning, the writer refers to children as olive shoots. In, in verse 3b, we read, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Why olive shoots? An olive shoot is new growth that springs forth out of the base of an olive tree. You see on our picture here, that is a picture of an olive shoot. Believe it or not, there are olive trees that are a, a thousand, and some even believe that, the, that the, the trees that are in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed on that final night, that those trees that are there today were there when Jesus prayed in that garden some 2,000 years ago. Here's how an olive tree is able to sustain life. Those olive shoots, what they do is that they grow and they become one with the parent tree. So you'll see in this next picture here, this is a tree that is actually in the garden of Gethsemane. And so what you see there is you see all of these different olive shoots. What they have done is they became grafted in to that parent tree. 
the center of that tree is most likely hollow. hollow. So that initial tree that grew in that spot is no longer there. But what has happened is all those olive shoots have wrapped around that tree and become one with that tree, became grafted in with that tree. And that's how that tree is able to live a thousand years or two thousand years or hundreds of years because it is grafted together. Our children, as we see in this passage of Scripture, are olive shoots. Those shoots are slow growing, but eventually they will become grafted in to the parent tree. Our children become who we raise them to be. If we want our children children to follow after the heart of God and serve the Lord, then we better love the Lord and serve the Lord ourselves. In many ways, they become who they are because of who, how we invest in them. Sobering, isn't it, when you think about that, that our children become who they are as a result of the investment that we make in them. But that's true. Now, that's not always the case, and I know that. I know that some of you are godly parents, and you raised your children to follow after the heart of God. And, and your children, at some point along the line, they, they became wayward. They strayed away. Let me just challenge you if that is one of your children. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart. From it. If you raise your children to follow after the God, cling to that verse. Continue to pray for your children and pray that they return to the church and that they return and become the godly men and women that you um, are praying that they are because of the way that you raise them and the investment that you made in their life. Notice our final point this morning. Godly children will be the lasting legacy of the home. In verse 5 and 6 we read, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. You know, the man pictured in this passage of Scripture is a happy old man enjoying God's blessing as he sees his grandchildren. His children's children following after the heart of God. Isn't that all of our desire? That our children will follow after the heart of God so that they raise their children to follow after the heart of God. And that just continues and continues and continues. Last night, um, where, where Connor is, where he's going through his training, they had a live web, webcast of their boot camp um, opening services. And so I was watching that last night. And the leader of, um, and I don't know if he's a leader of the organization or if he was just kind of opening everything up for day number one. But, but, but this gentleman, if I had to guess, I bet you he was in his mid to late 70s. And, and as, as they are Beginning this new group that's going on mission, there was also some younger children that were there that were going through a week-long camp, just, just having youth camp is basically what they were doing, our kids' camp. And that gentleman, he was recognizing those children that had gone through week number one, and then he comes to one of the little children. It was a little girl about this high, and he said, this is my great-granddaughter. 
And, and that little granddaughter was next to his granddaughter. And then this man said, hey, I'm going to call my daughter up on the stage as well. And so the daughter comes up on the stage. And there was four generations of, 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 of people that had been a part of this teen mission organization that many of them, um, are uh, the older ones, had already gone out on mission serving the Lord around the world. And I was just so encouraged by that as I thought about our service this morning. Isn't that what we hope will happen with our children? That our children one day, we're able to stand up and we're able to just kind of sit back, really, and, and as grandparents and witness our children who are raising godly children, who then those godly children are going out and they're investing in the lives of other people. When we think about olive shoots around our table, that's what we should think about, that those olive shoots, those young men that are around our table or those young women that are around our table, one day they're going to become the parent. Man, one day they're going to become who we um, and, and invested in them to become. What we're creating is disciples. And, and, and those we disciple, our children, as we disciple them, they become disciple makers. That is biblical. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Translated, I'm going to invest in you so that you can go and invest in other people's lives as well. The family is the building block of the nation. The turmoil we see in our nation today can be traced back to the turmoil we see in our homes. If we want to see our nation turn around, then we must begin by turning our homes around. We must become more concerned about the spiritual development of our children than we are their academic development or their social development. We must follow God's direction for the home found within his word. We're real good at investing in our children's future academically and socially through athletics or through the arts. But where we don't do a very good job is investing in them spiritually. Their, their, their walk with the Lord is going to go a lot further with them than their baseball careers or their football careers or, than, or their, their marching careers or their cheerleading careers or, or whatever it might be. Many years ago, there was a study of two families, and some of you may have read this or heard this before, but a study of two families revealed some startling results when it comes to investing in the family. One family descended from Max Jukes, who did not follow the Lord, nor did his wife. Among the over 1,200 descendants studied, 310 were professional vagrants. 440 were physically wrecked by lives of debauchery and uncleanliness. 130 went to the penitentiary for an average of 13 years each. Seven were murderers. 100 were alcoholics. 60 were habitual thieves. 190 were prostitutes. Of the 20 who learned to trade, 10 learned it in a state prison. Collectively, they cost the state of New York $1.25 million. And that was in the 1700s. Today, that would 
would be somewhere between 35 and $40 million that this one family cost the state of New York. The second family study was that of Jonathan Edwards, the New England preacher, and his godly wife, Sarah. Among his descendants, 300 became pastors, missionaries, and theological professors. Over 100 became college professors. Over 100 became lawyers, including 30 judges. Over 60 became physicians. Over 60 authored good books. 14 became presidents of universities. Three became United States congressmen. And then it says, even though they were the black sheep of the family, one became the vice president of the United States of America. When you and I raise up our children to follow after the heart of God, those very children have the potential to change the course of human history. They have the potential to change it spiritually, change it politically, academically, athletically, through the art or through business. When we invest in our families, they have the potential to change the world. Let us make a commitment that we're going to raise our children to be disciple makers. In order for them to become a disciple maker, they must first be discipled and be equipped. Let's spend more time investing in them spiritually than we do in them socially. Let us invest in our children and children not being Let's invest in them so they can become the young men and young women that God created them to be. Once again, we've got a limited window of influence over our children, very limited window in the scope of, 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 of the lifetime that we will experience here and our children will experience here. And let's invest wisely in them. Let us take God's word and train and equip our children. Let's not just... Let the church do that, but let us do that as individuals, as parents, as grandparents, as teachers within the school system. When we have influence over children, let's invest in them wisely. Let's invest God's word into them so that one day when they leave out of our homes, they then will go and invest in the lives of other people. You know, this morning you may be here. You may not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be like, man, I can't invest in somebody else's life because I've never been invested in myself. I've never entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If I was to die today, I do not know where I'd spend eternity. If that is you this morning, let me encourage you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Scripture says if you do that, if you repent of your sins, then you will be a child of God. So if you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision you could ever make. You may be here this morning, and, and the Lord is leading you to become members of this, um, of this church. We would love for you to come and make this your church home. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And then at the conclusion of that prayer, I'm going to be standing right here. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Father, thank you for the privilege it is. Father, just to be in your house, to worship you. Father, to open up your word, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, for every man, woman, student, and child in this room, Lord. I pray for our children that they're being invested in well. And I pray for our parents that they're investing in their kids well. And if they're not today, 
then I pray that tomorrow they will begin that process. It's never too late. It's never too late to invest in our children or in our grandchildren or our nieces and nephews or um, our neighbors or those within our church or those at our places of an employment. Father, just help us to invest wisely into the lives of others. Father, I pray now, Lord, that if there is someone here this morning that has yet to enter into a personal relationship with you, that today they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make, and that is to leave this old life behind and begin a new life by following after you, by taking up their cross and following after you, by repenting of their sins and following after you, by by following after you, having acknowledged that you are the Lord of their lives, that you are the Savior who can take away their sins, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If there's someone here this morning that is yet to do that, I pray that today they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, we love you and we thank you and just ask that you move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.